everybody. How are you? And welcome to the John Riley Project. And I am just so pleased, so honored to have as my guest today, Father Joe Carroll, joining us on the live stream here. How you doing, Father Joe? I'm doing good. And very tiring week. It's my birthday. We meet to the book. Busy week. It's been a, a big week for you. And, and happy birthday to you. Um, and it's the big 8-0, right? I'm afraid so. Well, that, I never thought special. I'd make it this far. <laughs> well, it's a special, a special time, and and the book that you released with Catherine Cloward has been just such a wonderful read. And I know you've been getting so much attention in the media as a result. The book, um, Father Joe: Life Stories of a Hustler Priest, and um, I just really enjoyed the book, and I was just so happy you were able to share your stories. You know, so thank you so much for that. Well, Catherine was great at putting them on paper. She I could tell them, job. but she made them interesting. <laughs> well, the great, the great part of the book for me that I really enjoyed, because we, so many of us have gotten to know you here in San Diego and all the great work that you've done, but we got a chance to learn about your childhood growing up in the Bronx and, you know, kind of how you, when you got into the seminary and, and how you, uh, you know, became a priest in your backstory. And it was fabulous, especially your entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, just some of the fun stories about, you know, transforming the bookstore at St. John's or, or actually, you know, shuttling electronics from New York City to Washington, D.C. and alcohol in the other direction. I was wondering if you could share some of those fun stories from your younger days. Well, the interesting thing was, it, for us, we can remember, in the old days, we had fair trade. So you didn't have any Costco's or Sam's or every every store charged the same price for every item. Well, I had a brother-in-law in New York who sold electronics. So I could buy a TV, a $400 TV for $200. And I could sell it to another priest or somebody else. For 250 and make 50 bucks on the deal. And so I used to, and I went to school in Washington, D.C. So I'd go up to New York to visit my family, buy some electronics, bring them down, sell them to priests and seminarians and other college students. But the danger was I had nothing going the other way. But I realized Washington, D.C. had no taxes on liquor. My family is very Irish. We like a lot of liquor. So I bought liquor tax-free, brought it down on the train to to New York. My family bought that for me. Then I bought TVs, serials, tape recorders, took it to Washington, D.C., and sold it to other friends. And that way paid for my, my going on trips to New York. What a great story that is. I mean, it really shows how, you know, you are an entrepreneur, always looking for ways to not only raise money for, you know, your parish and some of the work you're doing, but also offering to help others by giving them fabulous deals on products that they want. Oh, yeah, it was a great time. I mean, because there were a lot, everybody was benefiting. So some people would say you shouldn't be doing that. Well, I didn't have the money to go to Broadway Plays. That gave me the money to go to Broadway plays so I could enjoy myself. <laughs> so in the book, you, you, you talked a lot about, you know, even in your in your childhood days where you were helping out Jewish families during the Sabbath. You know, can, <laughs> can you walk us through some of those stories? 
Yeah, I, I was called a Shabbos Goy. That's a Gentile who helps them over some Jewish traditions. For example, all my friends had newspaper routes. And in New York, that meant five stories, up and down, delivering newspapers, six days a week, seven days a week. I worked Fridays. I went from Jewish house to Jewish house, turning on gas and lights, things they can't do on the Sabbath. Got 10 cents a house. Then I hung out in front of synagogues, and they have to have 10 men to have a prayer. And I would, if they, only eight men showed up, women didn't count in those days, then I would just put a yarmulke on, let them pray in Yiddish, get a quarter. So I made one night a week, and I made a good living. Yeah, so it's it's that spirit of of hustling, as it were, that I think is that's amazing. what they call me a hustler. Exactly. I mean, that was the commercial you were talking about it in the book in the nineteen eighty four National League Championship Series, and you were on television as and and how did you introduce yourself then? The cameras narrated came zeroed in on me, and I said, "I'm a hustler." I'm here to hustle you out of some money. I need so many millions of dollars and I need it in a hurry and I need you to pay it. And people, the, the writer of the commercial said, people will start to walk away and they'll stop and say, what did he say? And they'll listen to my commercial. And that's exactly what happened. Next day, everybody knew who I was in town. We became famous instantly as the hustle priest. Well, it's really worked to your benefit as a fundraiser. I mean, doing things to you know, raise money for, you know, at the time, what was it, St. Vincent de Paul, and that later became Father Joe's Village, correct? Yeah, after I left, they named it. I didn't name it that. I still thought St. Vincent de Paul was a better name because it's, it's a real traditional name in the Catholic Church. You know, almost everything we ever do with the poverty that we did with St. Vincent de Paul's name. Father Joe's name, he's a hustler. He's not really a saint. <laughs> well, the the story that I remember reading in the book was when you were assigned the task of taking over St. Vincent de Paul. And you were previously a, a parish priest, and and it was a big change for you. Can, you. can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it came as a surprise to me when I was in the bishop's office one day, and I'm in there on Boy Scout work. It's also, it's also a Boy Scout chaplain. And the bishop looks up. And he says, tomorrow I'm naming you the new head of St. Vincent Paul. And I said, no, no, no. I don't want to move out of my parish. And he said he had an opening in Needles. Now, the choice was Needles, San Diego. That's a choice. So obviously I stayed with San Diego. And I actually hoped to get fired. Then eventually I got to like the job. So I've been in it for 30 something years. Well, the, the, the line in the book that was so great was that they, they said that you were the biggest wheeler and dealer hustler in the diocese. <laughs> That's what the bishop said. He said, it asked four or five priests who is the biggest wheeler dealer in the diocese. And he said, I was the only name they listed. I thought I was known for my saintliness and holiness. I'm known him for being a hustler. 
Well, I think you're known for both, sir. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you just mentioned Boy Scouts and throughout the book that you've talked a lot about some of the, the work that you've done. Well, first of all, as a child in Boy Scouts, but really making that a big part of the things you did in the parishes. Can you tell us a little bit more about Boy Scouts and what that really means for you? Well, I joined the Boy Scouts when I was 12. I'm technically still in them. So it's 60-something years. And as a chaplain, I led trips across country uh, where scouts, I would get 50 kids plus the leaders. we take a three-week tour across the country to Jamborees. And we, you know, we, the, we had a great time. And I would just take the Catholic directory with me which has all the churches and schools. And if we wanted to change our route, I would just call ahead, get a priest and say, hi, I'm Father Joe. I'm coming to your town. Can you put me up for the night? Then I mentioned I have 40-something Boy Scouts with me. And, you know, parishes have halls, kitchens. If you get lucky and get a Catholic high school, you get a shower, you get everything. So I could just travel across country giving tours to kids. And I, I loved it. And Boy Scouting gave me a, a, a way of life that I really took to myself. And so I've always been a scout, believed everything about it, and been very active for 60 years. Well, one of the stories you told in the book was how you were at one of the jamborees, and I guess there was an ambassador there for the Pope. And you were able to really turn this into a special event. Can you tell us about that? Well, jamborees are, you know, 50,000 scouts get together. Generally, the Mormons have the largest group on Sunday because we were in a generation of small groups. And so we liked small masses. I wanted a large mass to outdo everybody else. And so I convinced everybody to let me have a large mass. So the scouts would come from all over the campsites. And I got, I said, we're giving the Pope to St. George Medal. So the papal, papal legate, the papal ambassador came. And he, and so when he, since he was coming, six or seven bishops showed up. And as we're ready for the mass, we're about five minutes to go. There were about six kids in the crowd. It's an absolute failure. And then all of a sudden, every hill you could see Catholic kids coming over. We ended up with about eight or 9,000 kids for the Mass. So I was very happy. Uh, it made us look very good. All the media covered it because it was the biggest event on Sunday. And so it accomplished my purpose, making us more noticeable than the other church group in town. Well, I mean, it was just a great story. I mean, I kind of had that vision of, yeah, like, uh, you know, people coming across the hills just right in a nick of time, saving the day for you. Um, oh, yeah. Some of the kids actually walked five miles. Really? To get there from one site on the Jamboree. So that was a real winner for me. It was, it was, it, it, there were so many parts of that story that seemed to, you know, different elements of the book all came together. It was Boy Scouts. It was, it was obviously a Catholic mass, but it was also how you were very strategic and how you use the media to promote the work that you were doing. Um, 
can you kind of share a little bit about that, um, how you've always really embraced the media and, and use it as a as a partner for you? Well, I'm a great believer in the use of media. I use it a lot as a kid in New York, but it wasn't as much as it is today. When I was ordained a priest, my ordination was actually carried on television in Santa Barbara because I convinced the media this is something that doesn't happen very often in a small town called Carpinteria that an ordination takes place and they were there. They came up and covered it. Uh, I've been covered all, all, I love media. They made me. I was nobody when I started with that commercial and then uh, all the news stories I could, I could create a new story in a moment. One of the stories I tell, if you remember a couple of years ago, everybody was watching Mount St. Helens for it to explode. Now I needed to tie in a national story. So I contacted the media and said, do you know I have a nativity set made of Mount St. Helens ash? And all six stations in town came out to cover my nativity set, which was a $19 item that was made with Mount St. Helens ash, just because it tied into the Mount St. Helens explosions. Mm -hmm. So you can always find some reason. The media's got 24 hours to fill. I can find a way to fill part of it. (laughs) Well, you've been very good at that. I mean, you are a... Uh, a, a constant presence here in San Diego, not just in the media, but just the work that you are doing and and the the changes you've affected for so many people. Um, one of the other parts of, of your story that I really enjoyed learning about was the I think it's called the Tucson Academy. Um, and it apparently is, I guess, a, a housing and schooling for teens. I was wondering if you could share more about that. Well, we we started a study on homelessness. We wanted to know what was was happening with the 13, the 16, 17, 18-year-old. Everybody's worried about the 18 to 25, but what about the kid that's literally going nowhere? And that's what we decided. Nobody was doing that at the time. It was probably because it's very expensive. So we did it for about 8 or 10 years, and finally... After I retired, the money dried up and they couldn't keep it going. But it really, it was kids that lived on the street and we were told could not finish high school. And almost every one of them, after they finished the two or three year program with us, were in college. These were kids who, I remember one girl, she told me she waited till car parked at night, crawled underneath because it was still warm to go to sleep. That was a way of getting a good night's sleep. And now we got kids. One just graduated from UC Irvine with his doctorate. One is a master snowboarder. Uh, he works for, for North Face. And they're all doing great things, mainly because they got a chance to put their lives together, return to being kids, and then grow up again. And that's turned out real well. And unfortunately, money ran out, and that's government money was focused on adults, not on kids. Well, that that scene, that was another interesting part of the book that you dis, you discussed is that when you learned more about homelessness, 
you just assumed that they were all adult men, but you discovered that there were women and children that were also homeless, but were often, you know, in the shadows. You didn't see them as much. You learned th- through that process. Well, I think we all thought all of homelessness, teen young people, was taken care of by um, oh, the guy in Nebraska, Omaha, what's his name? Uh, he found it, but you know, we, we saw kids and orphanages were all done away with, and there were tons of kids living out in the streets, 13, 14 years old that don't have a way of surviving. And we need to focus on that group as well as adult and the young adult, which is a 17, 18 year old. There are a lot of kids at 13, 14 out there. And there are I mean, horrible stories. I remember some of the kids, their dad picked them up, they packed their bags, took them to a corner, dropped them off because he found a new girlfriend. And he dropped his two kids off. And he ended up with us. I mean, I can't, I cannot, I, I have a family of 10. I couldn't imagine my parents dropping any of us off. I could think of one or two of my brothers. This is, they should have, <laughs> but that's between them and me. Right. But, but it's, it's, it's a shame. And, and right now, like we're discovering it all over again because we, we turned away from it, thought it would just go away and, Homelessness is running rampant all over the country again. Just amazing the things that, you know, we've learned so much about homelessness now. You know, in the book, you talked about that, how back in the 70s and 80s, there was no Internet. We didn't really understand. Now we can research it. We find out a lot more about homelessness. But back then, you were really a trailblazer. You were inventing things on the fly as you went. Well, we were discovering it on the fly. We weren't inventing it. We just kind of, you know, I opened up the door and there's a family. What, what, do, you, what do you mean a family? We're, not, we're building a shelter for single men. What, what do you mean family? We, we're not organized around families. And as we found that out, we began to realize we have to change our approach. So it was a constant 30 years of change as each new generation came in. We had to change our approach. Well, I mean, that to me, that's the mindset of an, of an entrepreneur, you know, that's looking for innovative solutions, looking for ways to meet the needs of, well, not really customers, but meet the needs of the people you serve. And it's that mindset that you have that I think is just so extraordinary that makes you so special and different than a lot of other people. Um, we're just, I mean, this, this book has been a fabulous read and it's just all a bunch of just really short stories. It's really an easy read and it's just so enjoyable that you've, you shared with us. Um, well, part of it is I want people to understand there's fun in work with homeless. Homeless are, I think a lot of people are afraid of because they're them. I prefer to say I have neighbors who right now are homeless. Keep the neighbor in there. That puts them as my next door neighbor, kind of what Jesus talked about in the Good Samaritan. Don't think of it that we're different religions with different people. Think if it's a person in need, that's a neighbor you need to help. Well, love thy neighbor, right? Which is the message. Love thy neighbor. And who's my neighbor? Anybody comes to you and says, I need help. There you go. 
You know, it, it's 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 amazing too how so much of the work that you've done is is well beyond the scope of just Catholicism. I mean, you are coordinating and 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 cooperating with all kinds of religions, um, both denominational, non-denominational, to solve homelessness. Oh yeah, at St. Vincent's, our meal line on Sundays is run by the Jewish community. They run it for Sundays for 26 years now. And like you find Buddhist monks in there, you'll find Mormon church in there. You find just about every Protestant church you can name. We're very ecumenical. You know, if you want to come in and serve a meal, I'll let you do it. I don't mind taking the day off. Yeah, it's just it's just remarkable. This, the stories that, that are in this book. Now, a little bit of a tangent, if you don't mind. I was chatting with Catherine before, and she was telling me about you're helping out your nephew who has a company, the Sleepy Bear Gummies. And <laughs> was, tell us about this. This is, a, this is a fun little tangent story. Well, my nephew is, came up with an invention. It's a CDB product that he's invented, and it's a gummy bear that puts you to sleep at night. And it really works. So it's a sleeping pill for a lot of people who just have trouble sleeping at night. And he started his company. It's in about 100 stores. He's still trying to get a, some major concern or like Costco to pick it up. And I introduce him to people I know and, you know, try to get the doors open. And, and you know, some of them work. So I got a few new insights from it I picked up today. And yes, all I can do is open the door for him, and he has to go sell it and prove his product works, and then that he's a good salesman. So that keeps me interested, because I don't want to ever say I'm done. I'm always interested in some project. You Well, you have so much to offer, and I think a lot of what you do is you're an educator, really, at heart, aren't you? My degree is actually education. I thought I would be teaching. <laughs> But they always told you you'd be a priest. Well, everybody, when I was a kid, told me I was a preacher. I'd say, never, <laughs> never, never happened. <laughs> and here it is, I'm a priest. But I, I'm, I find I'm an educator because when I first got involved with homelessness, I didn't know who the homeless were. And so I felt my job is educating people who the homeless are, how we can help them, how we can change their lives. Now we can make an improvement. And that's my job has been teaching people how we can help our neighbors who happen to be homeless. Yeah, I mean, that really, really came through in the book. You know, here it is, Father Joe, Life Stories of a Hustler Priest. Your background in education, your uh, degree in education. But it seemed like what, what you were doing, especially like with a lot of the youth groups that you, you helped and guided, you would teach them, but then you would get out of the way and let them lead. Um, tell well, me that's, more about that's, well, in Boy Scouting, when I took my training in the early days, Baden Powell, who founded Boy Scouting in England, said that the best scoutmaster is a lazy scoutmaster. Yeah. Meaning, you train the boys and you get out of the way. Let them run the troop. Let them run the parachute crew. And be there to, if they need help, let them ask you questions. But you don't have to make the events. You just help them sponsor it, guide it, 
but let them run it. And that's what I did my whole life. Uh, my, my life at Father Joe's Villages is I hire staff, and they'll tell you time and time again, I don't butt in. If I hire you to be a caseworker, I'm not a caseworker. I'll let you do your job. And so many of the staff that I get, cooks, security, they run their program. And that's strictly because I think I was taught early in Boy Scouting, train people, get out of the way, and let them do the job. And it works. And it works. I mean, that's what you've done in building the uh – your entire organization. I mean, it's just commendable, the work that you've done in our community. We can't thank you enough. Um, Father Joe, there's been some comments here on the live stream from Chris Sohei. He says, Father Joe, our East Village savior. Thank you, Father Joe. Hope to see you at the next turkey trot. So um, <laughs> my my family goes out to that turkey trot on, on uh, Thanksgiving. We've done that actually the past three or four years. It's a great event. Right. We're hoping to have it this year. Because these fires could get away. But uh, it's a big one. We get 10, 15, 10 to 12,000 people. And everybody has a good time. And what I do at the, the turkey trot, I sit in my chair and smile while a thousand people take pictures. Nice. And, if, and my, my nephew taught me, he said, you didn't get, just get a photo taken. It went to their Facebook, which went to their cousin's Facebook, which went to other Facebooks. And you're getting thousands of people from every picture you get taken. Love that idea of getting on the camera. Yeah. I mean, putting media to good use, in this case, social media. Amen. Um, here, here on the live stream, another comment. Pete Neal says, Father Joe, my wife thanks you for taking away my beautiful one-ton Dodge van back in 1990, and I thank you for putting it to good use. Amen. So remember, Father Joe's Villages still collects cars, boats, and even planes. Gotten two of them in the last 20 years. And then um, another comment here from Yuri Bolin. Um, he's a frequent guest, uh, friend and guest here on the podcast. He says, hello, Father Joe. I had the pleasure of meeting you in 1990 at St. Vincent de Paul. I ran for mayor in Poway in 2018 and will run again next year. The homeless crisis in Poway has grown, sadly. And this mayor and council seem to think ignoring the problem doesn't make it the who doesn't uh, ignoring the problem means it doesn't exist. So I guess the point he's making is, is yeah, even in our suburb community of Poway, we're starting to see homelessness. And I think as a community, we're struggling to, to solve the problem here as well. Well, what happens is we're, we're successful as Father Joe's villages, but we have not been able to get a permit to expand services to the homeless. It's been 15 years since we built any building. Well, if you don't let us expand, anything in the society grows. You know, why do we build a new hospital? Because more people get sick. Why do we build a new gym? More people commit crime. But we stop building homeless facilities. And now we wonder why the homeless are all over the street. Well, you didn't expand to keep control of the situation. So all I tell is these politicians... Get your agencies to expand, and they'll cover it. Because I don't remember all this living on the street 10, 15 years ago. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot has changed. I mean, you know, the housing is a very complex issue, but there's no doubt that there is a huge surge in homelessness right now. And politicians, as well as community leaders, are just struggling to figure out solutions. Perhaps it's just as easy as building a facility as you've done in downtown. That's the difference. And besides that, they keep saying housing first, and I believe housing first has nothing to do with homelessness. It has everything to do with poverty, lack of good housing. But homelessness is much bigger than that and needs specialized facilities to work. Mm-hmm. Well, indeed. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it's a lot that is involved that causes homelessness. Um, again, I just I, I can't. I can't say enough about the book. And here it is again. It's Father Joe, um, Life Stories of a Hustler Priest. Um, they, can get it on, they can get it on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Go, to Go on Amazon. You can get it Kindle. You can get it any which way you want it. And, and it's a splendid read. I mean, it's it's a, a, a collection of short stories talking about your youth growing up in the Bronx, coming out to California in seminary school, and then really getting your start here in San Diego County. You know, really what your first parish, I think, was in El Cajon, wasn't it? Right. Our Lady of Grace in El Cajon. That's where I started. I remember I told the bishop when he gave me the assignment to El Cajon, you know, during your lifetime in San Diego as a priest, you do expect to go to one desert assignment. And I said, that's my desert assignment. I don't want to go any further east than that. And he said, sure, downtown San Diego, work with the homeless. And at the time I started, all we did was give out a peanut butter sandwich every day. Same sandwich every day. We had no shelters, no programs, no kitchens. All that's been built in the last 30 years by the generous, generous people of San Diego. The, the the peanut butter story in the book is great, too. I mean, the way you created the sandwiches, but then you changed and your approach and figured out new, more innovative ways to prepare them so they were fresh every day. Um, yeah, the original day, well, originally they were done once a week at the cathedral, and so by the seventh day, that would taste like toast. And the homeless thought we toasted it. It was just dried bread. But then we switched to jelly. We The first big thing I did was give them water to drink with the peanut butter sandwich. We never gave them anything to drink. But then we just gave them bologna sandwiches, ham sandwiches, something really good. One of the biggest things we forgot to put in the book we, we had a coffee pot. Coffee was made, put in another pot. Then we boiled water in it, put hot dogs in it, cooked the hot dogs, and the homeless had a hot breakfast. Nice. And they thought it was great. I thought it was, oh, my gosh. But <laughs> it was a hot dog. I, I got to admit, I like them at the ball game. So hot dogs so in a coffee pot. And the thing I've always learned about the homeless is they appreciate every little thing you do for them. My God, Hmm. they really appreciate what we do for them. 
I could ask you this question. I mean, again, you, your entrepreneurial mind, I think, is is outstanding. And I think as a teacher, you could teach a lot to aspiring business owners, entrepreneurs. Do you have any advice for people that are starting a business or trying to grow a business? Yeah, I always think you think of tomorrow. I mean, I one of my reputations at, at Father Joe's is they're building all kinds of new buildings now. I bought all the property because as we I think we explained in one of the books and one of the checks is in a book that I believe if property next door you becomes empty, buy it. If you don't need it, don't worry about it, you will. We are now the 15th or 16th largest landowner of downtown San Diego. Wow. Think about that. Because I bought the property when it was cheap, <laughs> long before it got to be so expensive now, and they're building big projects on it. And we have enough land to build another big project in the future. So... The so village it's, definitely has come a long way. His <laughs> real estate values have gone way up in your in your neighborhood for sure. And good for you for recognizing that. Yeah, and then you, we were new. I mean, it's a typical Catholic parish. Passes by, somebody dies in the house next door to the church. We buy it. We may not need it, but we never know when we're going to grow. And I learned that from all the parish priests that I've been with. They've all bought pieces of property just because it was adjacent. So anything adjacent became available. I went to the bank and took out a loan. Good for you. That's a really good advice. You always think for tomorrow and make those strategic investments along the way. Um, Father Joe, I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for taking your valuable time to join us on the podcast. Um, the work that you're doing in San Diego. I mean, you're an icon. You're a big part of San Diego history. Um, it's it's my honor to have an opportunity to chat with you and, and learn your backstory. I've learned so much. Um, the book, you know, Father Joe, Life Stories of a Hustler Priest. Catherine did a wonderful job working with you to develop this book. And I just want to thank you and, and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, friends. And thank you, Father Joe. Bye-bye. God bless.